Welcome everyone to the Retail Corner Podcast from Proxima 360. The purpose of our podcast is to bring a relaxed and educational environment to discuss the current retail landscape, best of breed products, and retail business best practices. You will always find us talking with business users, technical resources, and retail experts on how they are and where they are headed. to the Retail Corner Podcast. And today we're fascinated and exciting because we have an author slash corporate American worker slash entrepreneur slash CEO and business owner. You know, so I mean, wow, what an amazing guest we have with us today. Howard Tursky, how are you doing today? Great to have you, my friend. Great. Thanks so much for having me, Carlos. Oh, it's a pleasure. It's such a pleasure. So first and foremost, I'm sure what caught everybody's attention, if you can give us a little bit of background your Wall Street Journal bestseller book, right? Winning Digital Customers. What, what, what is it about? What got you into that? What made you kind of come up with that book? And how was the experience of actually being in the bestseller list? Mm, okay. Well, uh, you know, honestly, I've wanted to write a book for a long time. I've probably started three or four different books over the last couple of decades, but uh, it takes a, uh, a real commitment to, to, to get something done and published. There's no question. I can't even imagine. Yeah, <laughs> I um, <laughs> no, I've been in I've been in the space of working with large enterprises on digital transformation for over two decades. Of course, we haven't called it digital transformation all that time. But mm-hmm. basically uh, working uh, with large Fortune 1000 type brands to say, OK, what is the impact of digital on their customer, on their business? And how can they both get more benefit from their digital touch points and programs? And frankly, how can they make sure that they continue to be competitive in an environment where their competitors, both traditional and kind of new digital competitors, are doing things in many cases better and faster? So that's kind of the, the core of the type of work I've done uh, for a long, mm-hmm. long time with companies like AAA, Avis, NBC, Airbus, Transamerica, General Electric, General Motors, like those types of brands. And um, and so, you know, it's funny, like after you do the same thing, and it's never exactly the same thing, of course, but the same type of thing at a, at a lot of different companies, mm-hmm. start to see patterns. And, uh, you know, I mean, honestly, I've had the chance to be a part of some really spectacularly successful, big digital projects and transformations. And I've also been a part of, and maybe even partly responsible for some things that (laughs) were not successful at all. And, but you know, it's all a learning process. And so having gotten to see all of these examples and efforts and attempts and the outcomes, I've really over those many years been able to see some patterns of Mm -hmm. what tends to work. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I would never say in a million years, there's only one right way to do anything, but there are definitely wrong ways. And um, what I try to do in this book, which is to describe a process that I know works because I developed it and then tweaked and iterated it over decades to work with large brands to help them get from where they are, which very often is behind to a point where they really can earn and win and deserve the love of today's customers who I call digital customers only because they are by and large living a life cycle, a lifestyle, which is extremely digitally centric and more so every year. And oh, so yeah, that's what a digital customer is. Absolutely. No, that's so interesting. And, and I was looking at your profile and I found it so, so nice and so interesting that you used to be in corporate America for about 12 years. Correct me if I'm wrong. 
And yeah, then you, even longer, 15 or 16 years, but yeah. 15 or 16 years. Wow. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of transition to kind of venture out on your own, right? And start your own company and really start your own process. How was that experience for you, right? Transitioning from corporate America thought process and then going to the entrepreneur thought process, right? Mm-hmm. Um, well, in, in some ways, I feel like I've been in corporate America the whole time, frankly, because I, you know, I started, I worked for Ernst & Young Consulting. And then mm-hmm. Kevin and I, which essentially bought Ernst mm-hmm. consulting practice. So it was sort of one job really, or one company, but it just trained, changed ownership. And I did that for 15, 16 years, something like that. And my clients were all large global enterprises. And then I started my own much smaller company, as you say, and our clients were large global enterprises. <laughs> so, you know, very much when working in a consulting company, mm-hmm. most of my time was spent at the client. I spent the majority of my effort and focus and time working with companies, not so much on the company that was employing me, so to speak. Mm-hmm. When I started my own company, obviously there are many things that are different about starting your own company. At the same time, how was I spending my days in kind of the same way, working with these large companies on their transformation issues. So it's interesting for me, maybe less of a giant transition in terms of my day to day anyway, uh, then it might be, you know, for somebody else. Although obviously there's many things you have to think about when running your own company. Of course. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I, I can see what you're saying because you, you had a very entrepreneurial job, right? Even within corporate right. America, right? You, the way you had to go about it, the way you engage your clients and your customers was very similar to that entrepreneurial mindset, right? Yeah. So, think, yeah. Yeah. I think if I'd been say the chief marketing officer of a company and then went out to start my own marketing agency, that would have been a much bigger shift. Mm-hmm. My role at, at Capgemini and Ernst & Young Consulting was to go out and, you know, find clients and sell work and deliver products. Yeah, business development slash sales slash. Exactly. And I, and I, I, as you say, it was very entrepreneurial type role. I mean, it's a fantastic training ground. I, I'm very grateful to those companies because really by the time I'd been there for, mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, I probably could have done it sooner, but by the time I'd been there for 15 years, I knew everything I needed to know to go start my own company. It did the same kind of thing. I knew how to find the clients. I knew how to, how to deliver the work, how to recruit mm-hmm. people, how to build the clients, how to read the contracts, make sure that they were fair, you know, at each step of the way. And so mm-hmm. it was great training for me to be able to say, okay, I need to start my own business. Yes. I need my own, you know, accounting and I know I need, uh, you know, my own. Yeah, yeah, there's certain jobs that other people need to do. Right. So right. that you can focus on the growth right. of the company. That's and right. what, what, what took you to that point? Right. Like you just said right now, maybe I could have done it sooner. Maybe I could have done it later. What made you at that 15 year mark say, this is the right time for me. This is the right time for me to transition over. Yeah. You know, um, a lot of it had to do with travel, honestly, in my particular case, the role I was in, I was uh, globally responsible for the customer experience practice for Capgemini. And Mm -hmm. there was an expectation in that role that whenever I was needed someplace, I was going to get on the next airplane and go there, or at least, you know, the next day. And so on the one hand, it's very cool to have the opportunity to see the world. Um, on the other hand, when all of a sudden you find yourself needing to be in Silicon Valley, you know, Tuesday through Thursday every week, and you live in New York city and you have mm. children at home after a while, the novelty wears off. I am sure. Yeah. You know, and I understood the nature of that business at that time, you know, it may have changed since then, of course, with, everything happening now with telecommuting and everything. But at the time, clients expected the teams to be on site. So, um, you know, I, 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 I think at the time I started my own company, I had three children. I now have five and they were something like, Oh, thank you. Yeah. There's something like four, three, and two or something like that. And so I was on the road. I just wasn't the lifestyle that worked for me anymore. Mm -hmm. And so that was one of the main reasons, you know, I also was 
um, I, I, I was looking to maybe be able to spend more time with each individual client. I, I found myself, the expectation of me was to, you know, touch 15, 20 different clients a week and then another 15, 20 clients the next week. And so I didn't have the opportunity to really get as close to some of the work that we were doing as I liked and preferred to do. Mm -hmm. working, you know, and so I, I wanted to shift a little bit away from that. And I wanted to focus on certain industries that interested me more than others at the time. For example, I'm very passionate about the media and entertainment industry. And, uh, you know, that was part of what I was doing there, but only a part, I was working in a lot of industries. So things like that, I, I felt that I wanted to have a little bit more control over my own, um, mission and what I focused on and, and to be able to choose to focus on companies that are headquartered in the Northeast. Cause that's where I lived. Mm -hmm. so that's what I, what I tried to do. Now we have clients all over the place. Again, we have clients in Europe, we have clients on the West coast, but I still, of course, since it's my company, I can still decide who you focused on. And then of course, bring your best talent, right. Yeah. To the other areas. That's right. That's no. Right. And I was really curious to ask that question because we get a lot of, uh, you know, comments from our guests, uh, and also comments from our listeners. And they're, they're always asking me, you know, like, when do you know when is the right time to go independent, you know? And and I liked your answer because it, it really resonates with what I always tell people. Is the moment that you find what you're truly passionate about and you mix all those things that you're passionate about and you turn it into your way of living, right? Because if, you're, if it was things that you were willing to do for free, then you're just going to excel no matter what, you know? And I think your response, in essence, if you analyze it, it was that, right? You grabbed everything about the job that you had and you dissected it to the things that you loved and that you were passionate about. And then boom, you made it your mission, you know, and obviously you're a very successful man and that more power to you. That's amazing. You know? Thanks. Well, yeah. And I think that combined with what I said earlier, which was that I, I had the skills at that point, you know, I, mm -hmm. I might've been able to do it a few years earlier, but if I had to try to do it, you know, 14 years earlier, I probably wouldn't have had the knowledge to do it. So I think part of it is, you know, some people want to leave a job and do a different type of job. You know, they want to leave working for a, a big manufacturing company and start their own, you know, a bistro. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, <laughs> and then I think that, but, but in my case, I was going to very similar business, but, you know, I think you have to ask yourself, you know, do I have the knowledge that I need in order to be successful off the ground? And if not, then maybe you want to stay where you are and figure out how to build up that knowledge. That knowledge yeah. But you're ready. So you're really experience ready. those failures, right? Because I think, Failures is not a failure. It's an opportunity to gain wisdom, right? Yeah. And so, yeah, to, to your point, like you said, hey, you've been a lot part of a lot of successes. You were also part of a lot of areas that maybe maybe didn't succeed or had more areas of opportunity. But yeah. only then do you really learn, right? If everything always goes to plan and perfect, you you become stagnant, right? Your your ability to learn and to overcome things becomes stagnant. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, right. Bill Gates quotes. Bill Gates said years ago, "Success mm -hmm. is a lousy teacher." Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. I agree completely. And so changing the subject a little bit and going back more to what you do and your company does, let's break it down. What is digital transformation? Because there's this misconception I hear from retailers and from other clients that we have all the time, you know, that they think moving some of their modules in ERP to the cloud or, you know, enhancing their e-commerce side that that's making them a digital transformation, you know, and I know it's much more, you know, in depth and larger than that. And so I think if for our listeners, if you can explain really the foundation of what digital transformation is. Sure. Here's how I see digital transformation. A lot of people start by thinking about our company is undergoing a digital transformation, but, but actually I think you need to step back and start by acknowledging the world is going through a digital transformation. And perhaps more importantly for an individual company, 
your customers have been going through a digital transformation. And what is that transformation? It means that the way in which they engage in tasks in their life, shopping to dating to finances, education, whatever it is, is increasingly and hugely digitally centric. And that hasn't been the case, you know, until the last 10 or 15 years. Digital has been something that's been growing, 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 but it really hit a hockey stick inflection point over the last, you know, whatever, 10, 12 years, what have you. Mm-hmm. And so that is a major, major change in your customers. And so as a business, transformation is just a fancy word for change. And businesses, if they can avoid change, generally try to avoid it because, hey, once you've got a business that's working well, why would you monkey with it? Keep, keep it going. You know, why exert the effort? Why spend the money and why take the risk associated with changing? Mm-hmm. When your customer is changing, then you need to be able to change to deliver an experience and a value proposition that aligns with what they want and need and prefer. And if you look at all the companies that have gone out of business over the last decade plus, whether it's Circuit City or Toys R Us or Blockbuster or going back a few more years, you know, companies like Kodak, mm-hmm. are companies that in many cases at one moment or for a whole length of time in their history, they really were delivering what was relevant to the customer. And that's why they were so successful. And the reason they became less successful was usually not because they stopped doing the thing that worked for them. But they stopped they, adapting, no? Because they kept doing it, and the customers, but the customer's needs changed. And they mm-hmm. were no longer were as relevant. And so that's, to me, that's the fundamental idea of digital transformation is the change you need to make in your company to keep up. You know, I, I'll give you another quote, another one of my favorite quotes which is from Jack Welsh, the legendary CEO of General Electric. And he said back in the 80s, I think, when the speed of change on the outside exceeds the speed of change on the inside, the end is near. Wow. And I think most people... Yeah, Yeah, sorry, go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, I was just going to say that is very profound and you're absolutely right, right? I mean, we are seeing it manifested in the past 10 years at a gargantuous level, right? I mean, so many companies that were unwilling to adapt, so many companies that it was their way or the highway came to find out very quickly that it doesn't operate like that, right? Yeah. And I think most companies, big companies today, feel that pressure that the speed of change on the outside is greater. And so that that's what really I'm all about right now is how do I help companies figure out, and, and my book is about that, and my consulting mm-hmm. practice is about that. How do we help them transform at the rate that's needed to keep up and in the direction that will really be the most impactful for their business. Cause of course you could change in a way that makes your business worse. That makes your customers less happy. So it's not just about speed, right? It's about Correct. speed and it's about a change that resonates right with your target audience Percent. and that captures more target audience for you. Absolutely. And what, what, from your experience, what do you see as the biggest challenge, right? For, for I want to say like maybe mid-sized retailers to large-sized retailers or any type of company, uh, what do you see as the biggest challenge as they're going through their digital transformation? Is it the internal employees not wanting to adapt to change? Is it the fact that they have too many, too much bureaucracy, too many, too much red tape, and it takes too long to get to the adaptation period? What do you see as the biggest challenge? It's the first thing you said. It's resistance to change within the organization at all levels from the field employees 
whether you're, that's a store associates or people in your warehouse or what have you, to your most senior executives who may have their own, uh, you know, um, empires, right? Their own <laughs> created. And, and, and when you rock the boat, when you think about redoing everything, all of a sudden it's a question of, a, you know, what's my role and my relevant and all that. You know, if you're running the call centers and someone wants to launch an AI-based chatbot that may cut your call center volume in half, that sounds possibly great for the company's bottom line, maybe also great for the customer if they prefer it to waiting on hold to talk to a representative, but maybe not so good for the senior vice president of call center operations, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, a lot of big companies have a lot of politics and the people who have risen in those organizations to be very successful and are making a lot of money, they almost always have very good political skills. And so when you're trying to drive change within an organization that isn't necessarily in the personal interest of one of those senior people with very good political skills, you may have created an enemy who is powerful and, and capable and expect, yeah. uh, and, you know, and just, you know, watch your back. And then all the way down to in the field, you know, if you're asking people to change the way they, they operate, change the way they do their jobs, you know, for a lot of people, even if it's not destroying an empire, sounds like a hassle. You know, people kind of like to get set in their ways and, you know, they leave at five, they pick up their kids from school, whatever, you know, now all of a sudden you're asking them to relearn a new system. I remember once actually multiple times we've worked on projects to replace old green screen systems. Like in, you know, think of like airlines or in Oh, wow. insurance companies where the people who work there have to type all those cryptic codes and mm-hmm. function keys, you know, sometimes they'll have those little flip things to show them what the function keys do. Yeah. yeah they'll have the little glossary, right? Right. So, you know, you come along and, and you're replacing that with, let's say like a web-based system. That's all, you know, mouse driven and then easy to learn and understand. You'd think who would not, who would, you know, who would not be in favor of that? Who would be against replacing an old cryptic green screen system? Mm-hmm. It takes six months to learn to use. The answer is the people that have already spent the six months and have learned to use it. And who have job security, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, you know. hit the nail in the dot. That's, that's what I was waiting to hear, you know? It's all about that job security. And, and, and I wonder, I, I want to ask you this. Do you think, or is it a recommendation for, you know, because I like this, this, this uh, segment I saw on your LinkedIn about, you know, the superhero of innovation, right? And that person yeah. kind of leading the digital transformation. Do you, do you recommend for that person to really pass on this philosophy for people to stop being so scared about their job, right? Because I feel like a lot of times employees limit the growth of a company because they want to guarantee they have a job and they don't think about limiting the growth of the company limits your ability to get a paycheck, right? Limits your ability to advance within the organization and get a higher pay rate or even continue to have a job. Mm. Well, you know, it's interesting. I mean, this perhaps is uh, part of the good news, the, the silver lining of the great resignation, that we're mm-hmm. experiencing now. I think people don't value your, their jobs quite as much as they may have in prior eras. And frankly, you know, right now, of course, we're in the middle of a very, very hot job market, very tight labor market. And that also means that people can be more confident that if for any reason they lose their job or they quit their job. One of the reasons so many people are quitting their jobs is they think I can get another job so easily right now that mm-hmm. if I don't like my boss or whatever, or they're asking me to go back to the office and I don't want to. I can just quit and there's a hundred, there's 50 other jobs, you know, waiting to hire me. And so that's a benefit of the situation that, that we're in right now. You know, I, I think that, um, yeah, you know, I mean, listen, it's going to be, uh, people will always look first 
to their own self-interest. I think mm-hmm. trying to figure out how to untrain that is fighting DNA. That is fighting a person's survival instinct. And I think that that is hard to do. But mm-hmm. I think what you can do is inspire people to see a future that may be different, but better than what they have today and help them see how whatever vision of transformation you have isn't just good for the company. It isn't just good for the shareholders. It's not only just good for the customer, but it's good for them individually. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that means you need to think about communicating differently to different parts of your organization. What makes the transformation good for the person who works in the store may not be the same thing that makes the transformation good for the person who's on the board of directors. It may be that the same transformation can deliver both of those benefits. But when communicating, you know, if you tell the person in the store, all you have to do is learn this new system and it's going to make our stock price go up 200%. Well, yeah, that means nothing. They don't don't own any stock, right? They can't afford that. So you're not resonating with them. So, you know, some of it's just basic communications and, uh, and finding out really understanding it's just like selling, you know, when you want to, when you want to create an effective process for selling anything, mm-hmm. one of the things you want to understand is what are the reasons why somebody would want to buy your product and what are their points of resistance? What's holding them back? What are their fears, insecurities, hesitations? Similarly, if you're trying to sell a vision for a change in the organization, you want to be careful not to think that just because you're excited about it, the people you're speaking to are going to automatically share your enthusiasm you want to do some research to understand and, and have one-on-one interviews and do other things. We do this sort of work all the time. It's just sort of change management work to understand, well, well, what are their concerns? Because they may be, they may surprise you. And once you understand what those concerns are, you can do a much better job of, of pitching, if you will, the, the transformation. Yeah, no, no, you're absolutely right. And, and I mean, to everybody out there listening, you know, I mean, I think he's an amazing talent. I mean, you guys can learn more, you know, through his company from, uh, and I mean, to what he's saying, right, is <clears throat> it's beyond the level of effort of doing the digital transformation is beyond the communication between IT and the business and defining the rules, requirements, architectural diagrams. It's it's the foundation of it is the communication, right, is the ability to showcase the add on value to every single department in your organization in order to get everybody excited. And if you don't do that first. Right. It doesn't matter how many meetings you have, how many architectural diagrams you do, how many gurus of IT you have and how many great BAs and PMs you have. You will not have the full organization supporting it. And without that, doing a real digital transformation is nearly impossible. And I think the last question I want to ask you, Howard, if you don't mind, which I like to ask all of my guests is Mm -hmm. if you had one piece of advice for all the entrepreneurs out there listening, for all the executives out there listening, what would be your one piece of advice? That's a tricky question, but I guess I would say figure out how to create vision without fear. Very often when we begin to ask ourselves, what should we do with our business? Where should we go? Before we even allow ourselves to answer the question, before we even allow ourselves to create a vision of what what kind of customer experience would I really like to deliver? What would I really like to be selling? How big would I really like to be? You know, what would I really like my marketing message to be? Before those thoughts even fully come to your conscious mind, there's another part of you that's, that's ripping them apart <laughs> and saying, no, 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 that's not reasonable. That's not realistic. That will never work. And that's fear. That's all it is, is fear. Now, mm-hmm. fear is helpful when you're being chased by a tiger. You know, it says, run. <laughs> no. So fear is not all bad. And by the way, some of the ideas that you might have might truly suck and be terrible ideas and would never work. That's probably the case. And other ideas may be genius, 
and would lead you down the path of the next Facebook or the next iPhone or the next Airbnb or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. You won't know which one is which initially. So when you're visioning, put fear aside and say, if I knew I couldn't fail, if I had all the money in the world, if I, if I knew I could effectively sell anything to my customers, et cetera, et cetera, what do, what would I really want to be? What would be that vision? And then once you get that out, you can look at that and then say, okay, now, Hmm, you know, will this work? You know, what, what are the, what are the, what are the challenges to this? What are the problems in this? And you may find some, and then of course you continue to refine and shape it, but it's the allowing yourself to get it out first, instead of trying to envision and edit and take away the things that are problematic, all great ideas and all great new businesses were problematic. You know, when they, when they started Airbnb, People were like, no one's going to want to rent a room in someone else's house. You can mm-hmm. get murdered in your bed in the middle of the night. They thought yeah. the same thing about Uber. You know, who's going to just let some stranger pick them up in their own car and drive them around? I mean, any Google, when they first launched Google, companies were suing them saying, how dare you presume to spider my website and create a list of all my pages and links? I'm going to sue you for some kind of trespassing, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, great ideas almost always have problems. Don't think that because you have an idea and then you see a problem, you should throw that idea away because then you'll never take an idea that's really, really transformational to fruition. Wow. You know, that should be the next title for your next book, How to Create Vision Without Fear. That, I mean, wow, I, I really, really like that phrase. That's really good. Howard, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Thank you for all the pieces of advice. And for everybody out there listening, you know, once again, if you guys need help in your business, you guys need help in your digital transformation, please reach out to Howard and his team. You know, I they're excellent. I mean, you guys have listened to the podcast. You've listened to his input. And wow, I mean, I, I have no words but to say it has been an honor and a pleasure to speak with you today, Howard. Well, thank you so much for having me. And of course, if anyone's looking for me, LinkedIn's a great place to find me. I'm, I'm published there very regularly. And if you're interested in my book, um, Winning Digital Customers, The Antidote to Irrelevance, you can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, all those places. There's also a website for it, winningdigitalcustomers.com. And you can download the first chapter there for free if you like. Great. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. And we'll see you guys in the next episode of Retail Corner. Podcast. If you wish to have a conversation with us, then email us at retailcorner at proxima360.com or visit our website at theretailcorner.proxima360.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. Stay safe and see you next time.